0: For everything, there is a time—a time for everything. Well, uh, I wonder if you stayed up watching the TV, seeing the seconds count down to midnight last night. Anybody? Yeah. Oh, yeah, quite a few. Quite a few of you. In each country, we, we tend to welcome the New Year together, even though we might be apart. See those last few things, and whether it's um, a ball dropping in Times Square, or the chimes of Big Ben, or uh, fireworks at Sydney Harbour, or wherever we are, whatever thing, we, we do it together. And we see time as being something that's a, a togetherness. We, we see it in a global sense now. But it's not that long ago that time was very much a local matter. The sunrise might have been the marker of the new day rather than something that we could wear on our watch or have in our pocket or see displayed on a screen. But even now, for each household, the sun rises at a slightly different occurrence, slightly different time, just a fraction of a second. Different. But it's different for each one of us. The other week, at the winter solstice, I compared notes on Facebook with a friend I have in Glasgow. Of course, that's far enough apart for there to be a a bit of a difference. And we found that our dawn, our sunrise, was 40 minutes different. They were 40 minutes after us if we'd compared sunset, because they have a shorter day for the north, the sunsets were only about 12 minutes apart. And of course, that was the old Hebrew recognition of the new day was the sunset, not the sunrise. Of course, for our friends over in Western Australia, there's an eight-hour time difference between us and them. Hi, Ash. Jess. Happy New Year, though it's well into it by now. For them, it's summer rather than winter. So the sun rose for them, according to Google, 11 hours Earlier than us, you know, that extra bit of sunlight you get in the summer. Days are different. And even between Linfield and Cookfield, you have a slightly different sunrise. In the mid-18th century, horologists made the first timepieces for use in rough sea, allowing Star charts to be brought together with the time and their position known uh, by a ship's captain. And standardisation of time across different towns was a requirement of railway timetables. Until then, we all existed in our own little separate worlds of time. But the time zone was made based on Greenwich. And we might then measure our day arbitrarily with the 24 hours and 60 minutes and 60 seconds to the minute. Though the French had an experiment that lasted about three years in the 18th century where they tried to have 10 hours in a day and then (laughs) subdivisions of 10 based on that. It makes a lot more sense I have to tell you, but it just didn't pan out. And maybe it's these variations. Everybody having their own different time, their own different sunrise, their own different experience, their own different ways of counting, their own ways of relating to it that meant for Prefect in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy says, time is an illusion. Lunchtime doubly so. Yet our passage today speaks of things that are far from illusionary. And although they may happen individually, they are things that we might experience collectively. Things that are personal and things that are for nations. Things that we do and things that we have done to us things that are of their moment and we might even forget about, and things that have a lasting impact that stay with us and change us for the rest of our life. And maybe even beyond our life. It seems indeed that whoever wrote these words be they, as some suggest, Solomon, about 900 BC, or a post-exilic writer, maybe only 250 BC, the scribe of Ecclesiastes has in some way or another captured a snapshot of the experiences, the full range of experiences that we have in human life. And throughout life, we have times of toil, be it manual labour, or the pains of ill health, or the grieving of the heart. And this has ever been the case. The prehistory of Genesis has Adam being told he will sweat as he works the field to grow crops. And Eve told that childbirth will be painful. And we might feel the answer to the writer's question. What do workers gain from their toil? To be nothing. What do we gain? Particularly if we're a glass half empty person, a pessimist. Though the story of the fall... Those thoughts that we've just had would give us the answer that the toil gives us food and family. It gives us positive things as well as pain. We might blame God for what is wrong in life or wrong in the world at large. We might struggle to see any beauty in our current situation, in our personal circumstances, I have experience. But what the writer is talking of when he speaks of beauty and the beauty that is made is how the Lord redeems. God takes those times of toil. God takes the broken situations that we find ourselves in and offers life. He beautifies the ugly elements of the human existence. And we may well struggle in a very hard way to see that at the time that it's happening. Indeed, some considerable time later it might still be difficult For us to look back and say, that was good. Because of the toil that we've done and the toll that it has taken on us. But by the love of God, in the bigger picture, something will happen that there will be positive change. And we shake our heads and say, well, what positive change is it? What positive change is it for the people flooded in a home or a business when the river bank bursts? Or the person whose home is near the edge of a cliff that's being eroded? What positive gain through a time of nations in conflict? What benefit through serious ill health? perhaps the death of someone really close. And I can't say, and I can't give an answer today, because most things that would come out of my mouth would would probably sound glib. They would sound pastorally uncaring for those in the midst of that pain or for that suffering. The beautification might not easily be seen. It might not be experienced by those who are actually close to the toil. Even to give examples of positive gain from events 50 or 100 years ago might in this context not be wise. Perhaps not understandable. Yet God will in some way that we don't understand bring goodness and will from that situation bring a beauty the human heart cannot understand all that god has done cannot understand that all god is doing cannot understand all that God will do. But God's love is infinite and he seeks to bring to the fallen an eternal kingdom of justice, peace, and joy. And so he takes situations and works through them. Scribe it says eternity is set upon our hearts. And that could be thought of as the longing for eternity, the hope of eternity, or the promise of eternity. We commonly understand the word eternity to mean everlasting or uh, an infinite amount of time but that is not really the fullness of the word as it relates to the presence of God in philosophy endless time is sempiternity just an infinity of days but eternity has a greater dynamic not simply time increasing, but a timelessness and a peace. And a sense that in that, that, there is no longer that need to toil and that need to strive. There is not the pain that we experience. There is a longing, a desire within each one of us in humanity for a life where we are safe and secure, that our needs are met. There is a searching for eternity, yet many do not understand that such a longing can only be fulfilled by God as they try to discover their own personal peace, as they go on a journey of exploration, as they see imaginary stars in the sky and set off on a journey, seeking their new king, they sometimes cause unnecessary pain to themselves and to others. They might fall into addictions to drink or to drugs or other behaviour on that quest that is addictive. They seek to satisfy a need that is there but can't be met simply through the things that we do as humans. Likewise, in the search for stability for a nation, a ruler might take its people into war aggressively. As a business seeks to consolidate its position, it may deliberately undermine others, gaining the market share. To advance in life, to have what we want, we may be led to mistreat others, those who are our friends, our neighbors, maybe our family members, those we have in close relationships with. Humanity internally, perhaps for some unknowingly, yearns for God. They have eternity upon their heart. But such abuses of power are not of God. The gods that they take are not the true God. When we hear the word, we are offered the true hope of eternity in Jesus. And we see in him a glimmer of the eternal kingdom. Not simply in his teaching, but also in the signs of great power that he performed. We can see God's love for the world. But do we choose to accept that offer of hope when we see it? And so are we led to live differently? With our labours conducted in the in the full knowledge and the acceptance of the God, the God who made us and loved us, are our choices and our actions more focused on the desires of God than the earthly desires of the heart? when we do choose to go God's way, when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive more than a hope in our heart. We have a promise that is fulfilled. The promise of eternity. The Holy Spirit comes to us at that time and lives within us and marks us as belonging to God. God's very presence lives in us. Eternity is within us. Our future, our eternity with God begins in that moment. It's a seal upon our heart. And we find ourselves living in the timelessness of eternity as best as it can be understood by humans. We therefore find ourselves as if living in two different time zones. In the earthly existence, there is evil and where we struggle for earthly needs. Where we will toil and we will experience pain. And we live in the spiritual dimension where we know peace reigns and we are fully satisfied. We live in the now, and what we often consider to be the not yet. Though actually, it is now in heaven. It is already in heaven. That's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? when we call for things to be on earth as they are in heaven. And as we exist across this divide in the now and the not yet, it is our place to speak into the times and seasons that we see. And look for the love of God that is present for the beauty that God is making, that we may declare its existence and point others in the direction on their journeys, in their yearnings, that they may too know the great promise that is to be had. As we live this this difficult life, now and not yet, we need to make sure that we have our time set rightly. I imagine all of us, certainly in the UK, are familiar with the pips that are broadcast by the BBC. Normally six, the last one being long, and being the actual time that's being marked on the hour. Actually, they can do it every quarter hour. Um, but we're just used to it on the hour. But I doubt we, we go and adjust our, our watches. We don't sit there with our clocks every, every day going, oh, that's it, right. Mm-hmm. And of course, in these days of DAB digital radio, although we might hear them more clearly, the sound might be wonderful. The encoding and the decoding throws them out slightly. And if you walk between different rooms with the radio on at the same time, you hear slight difference. And delays that weren't quite there on long wave, though we might go a bit of shh and whistle. In the way we live our life, it's not our watches but our hearts that need to be synchronized. And not with the way of the world but with the way of God. We need to daily pause and listen for the signal of what God has in mind and try to adjust to that timing what God is saying, what God is doing. As his people, we then need to tweak our thoughts, our words, our actions, so that more of the kingdom is revealed. So that more can come to know the kingdom. Until that day. Whenever it may be. That the kingdom is seen in its fullness upon the earth. Amen. Amen.